John chapter 4, uh, verse 1 through 26. We're not going to read all 26 verses. We're really going to pick up around... Uh, uh, really going to pick up around... Uh, it's really verse 19 through 26. I don't want to read all 26 verses. Um, not because it's not important, but because I don't know that uh, I can do that and do everything we're going to need to do this morning in our time. But what we have in John chapter 4, verse 1 to 26, is the story of the woman... Uh, at the well, the woman of Samaria. And what we're going to pick up out of this passage, we're going to pick up six principles, six principles of worship, and we're going to spend the backside making some application uh, uh, to that. Okay? And so, uh, and so just quick recap, very quick recap. Um, last week, we talked about the priority of worship. And we discovered, when we talked about the priority of worship, uh, that this was such an important issue... Such a vital issue for Israel that it actually led to their downfall because of their failure to get it right. This is, a, this is an issue. It is, it is built into the Ten Commandments that worship is an absolute priority. This worship as a living sacrifice. I don't know if you noticed or not, but the only time Jesus flipped tables over was over the issue of worship. Now, that's not a justification for us to go flipping tables and chairs over this morning in anger because we are upset at how something went. That's, that's not what Jesus was showing us. What Jesus was showing us is that zeal, as that the prophet said, and as the writers of the New Testament observed, that zeal for your house will consume me. That this issue of worship was such a vital issue that Jesus, at the abuse of it, came and flipped over the money changers' tables and chased out the people who were keeping the Gentiles from the presence of the Lord. And so issue is such a priority that the Lord himself approached it very seriously. Such is the case in John chapter 4. In this story of the woman of Samaria and Jesus' encounter with her at the well. John chapter 4, let me just start reading. Here we go. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees, this is John chapter 4 verse 1. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard uh, that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John... Although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. Verse 4 is key. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from the journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him. and He would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well, and he drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks the water, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here and draw water. And Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. 
The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying you have no husband. For you have had five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Understatement. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah who is coming, He who is called Christ, when He comes, He will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. Just then the disciples came back and they marveled that He was talking with the woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town to see the people. And she told them, come see a man who told me all I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. Let's look at these six principles of worship we find in John chapter 4. And this encounter Jesus has with this woman, this Samaritan woman at the well. Number one, God is seeking worshipers. God is seeking worshipers. We see in verse 4, Jesus had to walk through Samaria. The language here is vital. Because in Jesus' day, number one, Samaritans uh, were a race of people that they felt were inferior to them. And so therefore, if they had to travel south, they would travel the long way in order to avoid going the direct route through Samaria. And so for Jesus to break the tradition is key because it says he had to go through Samaria. The language is telling us that there was a divine purpose. In other words, Jesus was intentionally traveling through Samaria. He had to pass through, not in the sense he was compelled to, but he was on a mission. And in so doing, Jesus broke cultural rules. Because not only was he speaking to a Samaritan who they considered racially inferior, he was speaking to a woman. And so Jesus breaks cultural rules. And the reason he breaks cultural rules, we see in verse 7 to 9 and verse 23 when he says, But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Worship begins by understanding this first principle that God is the one who is seeking worshipers. And the advance of the kingdom of God is God redeeming creation and seeking out worshipers. So God seeks worshipers. Principle number two. Only true worship is acceptable to God. Notice verse 23 and 24. The hour is coming and is now here when the True worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. Verse 24, God is spirit and those who worship must worship in spirit and truth. Only true worship is acceptable to God. Now listen to this. If there's true worship, then there's false worship. If there is true worship, then there's worship that's not true. In other words, God is seeking worshipers, but He's not just seeking worshipers who will come and bring their fallen worship tendencies to Him and worship Him like false gods are worshipped. He is seeking true worship. And only true worship is acceptable to God. He defines this true worship as worship that is spirit and truth. 
False worship will deny spirit and it will deny truth. False worship may focus only on an external, which I would argue that for most of us in the evangelical post-Christian South, our worship concept is songs we sing and a service we attend once a week. That is false worship. Because that's not the epitome of what worship is. I don't know if you've noticed here, but Jesus addresses nothing here in regard to true worship being a service with songs we sing. Jesus said the Father is seeking worship, worshipers, and there is true worship. And that true worship consists of spirit and truth. So the Father is seeking worshipers, and only true worship is acceptable to God, which ought to make all of us go, hey, Is my game on? Remember, the only time Jesus flipped over tables is over the issue of worship. Which is why we never make worship an issue of preference. Worship is never to be about what I like or what I want to consume. This is one of the reasons I'm frustrated living in post-Christian South. It's one of the reasons if God would release me, I would move. is because we spiritually fight over things that are irrelevant. And we consume issues. We make as top priority consumable commodities of the kingdom of God that are not priorities. And I have a feeling there's a sense in which the Lord wants to flip over our tables and go, you're missing it. You're keeping the Gentiles out of my court. You've, you've majored on the minors. You have idols that you love more than me. Because he's seeking worshipers and he's seeking true worship. So Three Rivers Church, we better get this right. We better get this right. There, there's a component of the worship of God that, that we're welcome. But we're welcome to come in with a little white knuckled intensity that I, I need to get this right. Number three. True worship is never bound by time and place. Notice verse 20 and 21. Our father's worship. Now this is the woman speaking. She, she is in her mind. She's, she's got a limitation on where this is supposed to take place. And she's looking to her traditions. She says, our father's worshipped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. She's, she's, she's majored on the minors. Our father's worshipped here. You guys say it's in Jerusalem. It's contemporary. It's traditional. It's... Hymns, it's not, it's disorder, it's that order, it's youth, it's children, it's, 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 it's singles, it's adults, it's groups, it's, it's, it's all, it's, it's what I like, my, I love it, they like it, they want it, they don't want it, I like it, I want it. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour's coming. Oh, and, uh, when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. In, in, in other words, spirit, Worship, true worship, is not confined to time and place. True worship isn't over on that mountain. It's not over on that mountain. It's not in this room. It's not at another church. Your worship isn't defined by the emotional jiggy thing you get. You get goosebumps. and That was the Holy Spirit. No. I've told you before, when I play Welcome to the Jungle, I get, that song moves me. And it's not the Spirit. 
It, it's not because I got the little, the little thing over here, or I felt it over there, and I felt it here. It's not on that mountain, it's not on that mountain, it's not in this place, it's not on Wednesday night, it's not on Sunday morning, it's not on Sunday night. The reality is true worship, worship in spirit and truth, is never confined to time and place. It's never a song or a special place where we had a great experience. For so many people, worship equals it used to be like this and this is how God moved there. So it's that way now. You can't reduce worship to that. That's no different than Baal worship. It's dry. We need crops to grow. So let's add a little Baal to Yahweh and see what happens. It worked over there. It will work now. Because worship is deeper than time and place. You see, worship as a living sacrifice defies those trivialities. And I have a feeling Satan and the the evil entities and the spiritual warfare around us delights when we confine our worship to those kinds of things and trivialities. I think what's important to note here in, in verse 28 to 30 and in verse 39, this woman who... Had a very stained reputation, which by the way is why she was at the well in the heat of the day, which typically you would not do. Number one, don't go to the well in the heat of the day. Number two, woman going to get water by herself. Why? Because she had a stained reputation of having five husbands. And so it's easier to just avoid the social circumstances that might bring shame upon her. And I want you to note something that happened here. We see in verse 28 to 30, and then over in verse 39, that this woman left behind her stained reputation and the threat of the public, who knows what, to go public with Jesus. And that was socially risky for her. That was living sacrifice put on display. Jesus just said, it's not on this mountain, it's not on that mountain, it's spirit and truth. And when this woman was transformed, what did her living sacrifice begin to look like? The shedding of her concern about her social reputation to go public with Jesus. And so what we see at the end of this passage is, although I didn't read all of that for you, is that this worship of spirit and truth not bound in time and place is put on display by this woman shedding her reputation to go and make much of Jesus. That is true worship that's not bound by time and location. As long as we pin our experience of true worship on a time and a place and a feeling, we will never have the kind of output this woman had. Because true worship isn't bound by that. Those are trivial issues. Principle number four. We're living in the hour of true worship. Notice verse 23, but the hour is coming and is now here. Jesus is coming, but it's here. It's it's here. In other words, when Jesus came and brought this promise of the new covenant, when, when He was born into time and space, not created, the eternal Christ, the creator of the universe, Colossians 1, 15 and 16, by Him all things were created, and by Him they exist and are sustained. So Jesus, the eternal God, the one who spoke it into existence, came and He took on flesh. And He came to live on this earth and die in our place for our sin and rise for salvation when He came and inaugurated the kingdom and His rule and the warfare that would take back His created order and all of His elect, one soul at a time and one inch of ground at a time. When He came, this hour of true worship came. And Jesus said, it's coming and it's here now. 
In other words, what used to be confined to places of triviality for you is gone. And we are currently living in that time now. In other words, three of us church, we don't have to wait. (laughs) We don't have to wait. The prophets looked forward to our day. The Old Testament prophets looked forward to that day where, where there would no longer be that distance between God and His voice and His speaking and His leading. They looked forward to the day where God Himself, the day of the Lord would come and He would come and live among us. That day is here. And, and that's everything. Listen, that's a simple truth, but it's everything. That, that we don't have to be confined to this room to live as a living sacrifice. To worship the Lord. The day is here where true worship is available to us. 24 hours a day. 7 days a week. 365 days a year. True worship's available. One of the challenges we have to transcend and overcome in our context is just that. We pin all our hopes on this being just like we want it. And if it's not, we walk away bummed out. Like somehow God failed. And the problem isn't God failed. The problem is we are not worshipers. We've pinned our worship experience on a time and a place and a thing and an atmosphere. And what I want to say to you is I've said this for the whole, all the weeks of this series. If we do Romans 12, 1 and 2, right, we can walk up in this place and hold up our little lights and sing this little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine and expect an outpouring of the Spirit because it's not the song. It's an all week I've walked with Jesus and I've repented of my sin and my pride and my arrogance and all that I know. And I've been with the king. We live like that. We, we can expect that these little tiny moments like this have a little more punch to them. We're in the hour. Church, you're, you're in the hour. Not the hour of the week, but you're in the time and space and history. Where being a living sacrifice comes with power and authority. It's true worship. Principle number five. The Holy Spirit is the power source of true worship. The Holy Spirit is the power source of true worship. Jesus says, verse 23, the hour is coming and is now here. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Now that's little s spirit. Okay? Little s spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. One of the things we talked about this morning, we talked about hearing God. This is on this Facebook Live on the Three Rivers Facebook membership page. So you can go watch it all over again. One of the challenges we have in hearing God is not proof texting God. Like drawing truths from one tiny little verse in the Bible. In other words, it's Genesis to Revelation all combined to create truth. Dictators have used Bible verses to justify murdering people. We don't proof text God. In other words, we know our Bibles and we take the total combined weight of God's word that dictates to us what is true. And the reason this is important is because Philippians 3.3 expands on spirit and truth. When Paul is teaching the church at Philippi about worship, he says, For we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. 
In other words, worship is by the activity of the Holy Spirit. So when Jesus said worship in spirit and in truth, he wasn't just talking about a spiritual thing. He's also including the fact that he's about to teach them about the Holy Spirit who is the counselor, the guide to truth, the one who reminds us and leads us, points us to Jesus. And Paul comes and he takes that and he teaches them that this, this worship we bring, church at Philippi, is by the activity of the Holy Spirit, which points us back to the point. Holy Spirit's the power source of true worship. Holy Spirit is the power source of true worship. Listen, I don't want to take a lot of time to expand here. I just want to say this to you, Three Rivers Church. We're Baptist church. We're a Southern Baptist church, and I'm proud of that. There's good history there. I'm not ashamed of that. But I also want you to know we believe our Bibles, every inerrant word of them. The Bible teaches us that the Holy Spirit is our counselor, our guide to truth, and that He not only is with us, He dwells in us. And in this moment, in this time, one of your responsibilities is to be sitting there in that chair and paying attention to the impressions he's placing on your heart, scripture he's bringing to mind, and the words that he is somehow bringing forth out of a stitched up mouth. And part of our task in true worship is to tune into that and respond to him in obedience. Because he is the source. He is the power source of true worship. You need power to worship in the morning when you get up. It's Holy Spirit working in you and by you. Sixth, the New Testament standard of acceptable worship is spirit and truth. Again, verse 23 and 24, the hour's coming is now here when true worshipers. Remember, there's false worship. There's false worship. But true worship is spirit and truth. Why? Because the Father is seeking such people. The Father is seeking people who will come in spirit and in truth. So the the question that you should be asking right now, and I'm going to ask it and we're going to spend the rest of our time answering it. What is worship in spirit? You've probably heard a hundred sermons on this or you've looked it up and you've looked for somebody to tell you what is worship in spirit and what is worship in truth. I'm going to give you my best shot this morning. What is worship in spirit? Worship in spirit is worship that is never merely physical. Worship in spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit, is worship that is never merely physical. In other words, worship has to transcend the outward experience. In other words, you can worship the Lord as a living sacrifice and never feel a goosebump. Do not let the presence of goosebumps or tears dictate to you acceptable worship. It doesn't mean that goosebumps and tears aren't worship. They may be. But goosebumps and tears are not the litmus test of real worship. Worship has to transcend that. It has to go deeper than that. It has to go to those hidden places that nobody sees but God. What happens behind the closed door? What happens behind the computer screen? What happens in front of your phone? What happens in the office? What happens in the quiet moments where nobody else looks? Worship has to go down to there. And when worship as a living sacrifice is lived there, then the physical component begins to play in. But it's never merely physical. All true outward experiences of worship must be the result of the Spirit working in the soul of the Christian to move them to desire to be living sacrifices from the very core of their being. 
In other words, if you've been tearing somebody up all week long behind their back, verbally sticking knives into them and them not know it, and you came in here and you sung a song and you got goosebumps, it was not the Holy Spirit, it was demonic. That makes sense? Our worship has to get deeper than our songs that make us feel a certain way. No doubt the songs are, they're not unimportant. There's 150 of them in the middle of your Bible and we're commanded to sing them. But they are the result of the worship experience being deeper than the physical. Worship in spirit is worship in and by and with the help of the Holy Spirit. I think if you'll read your Bible cover to cover, I think you'll discover the Bible never tells us how to do this. We're talking about this morning. We're talking about hearing God. It would have been so much easier if the Lord had just put a, here's how. Ten points. Do these things and there will be great revivals and movements of the Lord all over the world. And He doesn't do that. And the reason is, is because, and we discovered this this morning, is that everything starts with relationship with God, friendship with God. Moses face to face with the Lord. David saying, you're my shepherd and you lead me. Jesus saying, my sheep hear my voice. And they know my voice and they follow me. They also know the voice of strangers. They don't follow strangers because they don't belong to strangers. In other words, worship in spirit... Is by the help of the Spirit giving us ears to hear and hands and feet that will be quick to obey Him. So everything in spirit worship begins with a relationship with God, walking with God. Dallas Willard calls this the with God life. I think he's right. We're so looking for what you want me to do, God, that we skip over the who am I and who are you and how do we walk together. You ever notice the people in the Bible never wondered what God wanted them to do? It was an issue of walking with Him and then they walked it out. You want to know what to do? Walk with the Lord. He will show you. So worship in spirit is walking in with and by the Holy Spirit. Worship in spirit is also the spiritual action of the mind. We're told in Deuteronomy 6, 5 to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul. or Sorry, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 6, 5 in Matthew 22, 36 and 37. And he gives it interpretive value. He's asked, teacher, what's the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. In other words, this whole idea of loving God with all of our being includes our thinking. So worship in spirit is worship in the spiritual action of the mind, which means we're people who think rightly on the Lord. Worship in spirit is the spiritual action of the heart. Same passage, Deuteronomy 6, 5. It is my heart's desire. Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and He puts in you the desire of your heart. When you walk with the Lord Jesus... He gives you desires that are holy. And those desires spilled out in affection for Him is spiritual worship. Worship in spirit is also the spiritual action of the will, the volition. Romans 12, 1 and 2, which we'll hit in a few weeks, says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices. That to present your bodies is an act of your will. It's an act of your volition. It's a choosing you make. Worship in spirit is what happens in those volitional moments where you choose to lay down and be Christ's rather than yours. And you know what? Nobody's ever going to see that but you and the Lord. 
And if we do that, then that's when we come into places like this and, and the Lord goes, I, I know they're mine and I know they want me because all week long when nobody else has looked, they've laid on the altar and said, I'm a blank check, Jesus, right on it. <laughs> if, you, if you will do that, these, these times will take care of themselves. Dr. Bruce Leaf Blad, Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, and some of us in this room had Dr. Leaf Blad. Uh, just so you know, I want to give him credit. He's the one that informed the passion movement. You'll never hear his name. But those guys in the passion movement were students of his along with us. Nobody knows us. They know them. They wrote the books and wrote the songs. But anyway. Leaf Blad taught them. Here's what Leaf Blad said. The path of really living is the path of really dying. <laughs> the path of really living is the path of really dying. It's, it's those who lose their life find it. You know what the Lord said? It's, I lay down, my life's a blank check, I'm a living sacrifice, Lord, write on it what you will. That's worship in spirit. You see, when the Lord raises a dead heart and sets a person free from sin, the Christian has the spiritual sight to see. They have the spiritual volition to choose the good over the bad, even the better, and choose the best over the better. For so many of us, it's not an issue of good versus bad, it's what's best. We know what's not right. It's the issue of what's best. And we come to the Lord and we come to each other. We're, we're trying to choose consumer things. Good versus gooder. And what we need to do is lay down and be a blank check and say what's best for the kingdom and for Jesus' fame and my joy. And the cool thing is about worship in spirit. He makes that accessible to us. And it's those moments where we choose that, that worship takes place. What's worship in truth? Or wrap it up. Worship in truth is worship in the truth about God. It's worship in the truth about God. And as we worship in spirit, we've said what those things are. But, but Jesus said true worshipers bring those two together. Okay? So it's all that stuff about Spirit, and it's also truth, meaning it's the truth about who God is, which is why we engage in Christians in doctrinal study. This is why we preach from a Bible. This is why we open it and take the text and seek to explain it. This is why it matters what we believe. One of the things that we have present to us today that hurts this most is the constant bombardment of media from bad teachers. And unfortunately, see, see, Satan's smart. The Bible calls him a schemer. And he's the chief consumer. And so he knows what appeals to people. And so the Bible teaches us about false prophets. And those false prophets speak things that are untrue. Right? Jesus said they've gone out into the world. And he said even if possible, they would deceive the elect. Matthew 24. So the scheme is so powerful that that were it not for the elect status of those in Christ, we would be deceived. But he deceives. And we hear crazy things that stroke our desires and stroke concepts that want to make God a product, not someone to be laid down before and sacrificed to. And we buy those things because they feel good and we try to incorporate them into our our lives and our thinking. 
And the unfortunate thing is, it affects our worship because then we treat God like Baal and not the God of the Bible. What can you do for me versus you're my friend and I walk with you and you teach me and I follow you and I obey you. So worship and truth is the truth about God. This is why we encourage you to read your Bible. Test everything that's said by Scripture. Weigh it. And if it's not written, it's not true. Worship and truth is also worshiping the truth about us. Meaning we're informed by Scripture. We know who we are. We know what we were made for. And we engage in that with all of our might. You see, when we recognize who we are, the truth about who we are, it affects how we live. When you realize you were made for God's glory, you were made to be a living sacrifice before Christ, that informs how you're going to respond. And so we know the truth about who we are, what He's done for us in Christ, and what He's made us to be. It gives you purpose for living. You you can write a purpose statement for your life, glorify God, and then just start filling in the blanks of what that looks like in the nuances of your day. But you were made to be a living sacrifice before Christ. We're all blank checks. And we are to say, Lord, write on it the cost. I'll be glad to cash it. But it's also worship. Worship and truth is worship that is in the truth about what worship is. You see, if we come to worship and we're not truthful about what worship is, then we'll turn right back around and make it about us. But worship in the truth is worship that is in the truth about what worship is. And it brings it all back to Romans 12, 1 and 2. Three Rivers Church, worship is about being a living sacrifice. It's about laying your opinions, laying your desires, laying your plans before the Lord and saying your will be done. You notice how the Lord taught us to pray. I find it fascinating that when people do prayer, they just totally throw Jesus' teaching out. Ignore Him altogether. You know, His prayers in the Bible are never long. You notice that? They're not, are they? And we wonder, how can they be effective? He didn't pray that long. You hear stuff, you pray longer, it's more effective. That's just a lie. Jesus taught us how to pray. And Jesus said, don't pray like unbelievers who think they'll be heard because they say it a lot. And what's the first thing we're tempted to do when we pray is say it again to make sure he heard. And Jesus should be flooding back going, don't do that. I told you I already know. I'm not looking for... Jesus isn't looking for spiritual CIA agents to inform him on what's up. He knows. And so the Lord taught us to pray. And he said, start like this, Father in heaven, make your name great, hallow your name. Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on this earth as it's done in heaven. Notice we haven't even got to what I need yet. It's, you're great, you're great, make your name great. That's my desire, your name would be great. Your your name would be great through me as a living sacrifice, put on display your kingdom. Put on display your rule. I want to be a city set on a hill so that they see you and glorify you. Lord, make your name great. Lord, bring your kingdom. Bring your rule over me. And, and Lord, cause your will to be done right here in my life today on this earth. As it's clearly done in heaven. Override me because I'll make bad decisions today. Jesus, override me, please. Rescue me from me. 
That's why Jesus taught us to start praying. And then we get to asking for food. Because if we're doing that, then we're going to need some food. Because we're going to need some strength. It's not rocket science. It's just in the manual. Right? And so that's, that's worship. It's living sacrifice. It's God first, me second. Proverbs 29, 25 says it like this. The fear of man lays a snare. But whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. So the reality for us, Three Rivers Church, is worship is a living sacrifice. And we don't do worship to appeal to, nor in the fear of man. But we do it as a living sacrifice to Christ. You are primary. I'm somewhere down the line. So Jesus, would you receive my life? Listen, guys, when you live life like that, our songs then matter. I would argue that if we live life like that, those of us who are not the singing type will sing. So let me ask you this question. Will you join me this morning in bringing back to him just a little bit in song what he's worthy of? Coming from a heart of living sacrifice? Would you do that this morning? Would, would you, let me ask you this question. Would you give that your best shot? Will you volition that up this morning? Just give it your best shot. Will you do that? I, I don't see a lot of movement. Will you give it your best shot? That's weak. Will you give it your best shot? Yeah, let's pray. Father, I pray this morning that you'd be glorified that what we do in song would match being a living sacrifice. And Lord, I just want to specifically ask you this now, that if if there's uh, a bunch of not Isaacs, um, not laid out to be poured out and fully spilled out, that you would do such a work by your spirit to make us living sacrifices, that we would lay those things down. Holy Spirit, I trust you to do that. Jesus said it's your job to remind us of what's true and what you've said. And so I'm asking you to do that now. So for some of us, we need you to bring us to lay ourselves down. So would you do that in this time? Supernaturally, powerfully, would you do that? And then and then uh, work that out in our lives this morning. Maybe in song, maybe in repentance, maybe in confession. But Lord, work that out this morning. We ask you to do that. Lord, cause our lips... To sing forth your praise. And as the writer of Hebrews said, it's the fruit of lips that bless your name. Would you do that this morning?